1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 18. This is the Lord himself speaking to Elijah. It says, still I have preserved 7,000 men in Israel for myself. All of whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You should always know that God will always have a people. It says, so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphath, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed by and threw Elijah passed by him and threw his cloak on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, "Please let me kiss my father and mother and I will follow you." And he said to him, "Go back, for what have I done to you?" So he returned from following him and took a yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with their yokes from the oxen and gave them to the people. And they ate. Then he got up and went after Elijah and ministered to him. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your word, for your presence, for your spirit, for your gifts. Lord, I ask today that you would open the scriptures in our presence. Lord, that, that you would anoint these lips of clay to speak what you would say without fear or favor. Lord, I ask today that you would anoint the ears of the hearer, both here present, those watching via live stream, and whoever may watch later. Lord, that you would speak to your people from your throne through your spirit. Lord, and we'll ask it today in Jesus' name. And everybody in the house said, Amen. Amen. So he sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes from the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. This morning I want, for the next few moments, to speak to you about when it's time to burn the plow and barbecue the beef. <laughs> there comes a point in everyone's Christian walk where you have to make a decision that I'm going forward and not going back. It's really about being all in. That's what it's about, being all in. They've just came out of a time, as you would recall, where Elijah has won this great victory on Mount Carmel with God's help. It's a place where the strongholds of this world had came together and met at, at, a, at a fulcrum of history 
where the, where the idol worship and the prophet of God met at a strategic point at time and place. It had been a place where, as you know, and we've said even recently, where God's people were divided among all over. The kingdom was literally divided at that point. There was the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And Israel was torn about in the sensualness of Baal worship. Baal was a god of, of, of gold and silver and prosperity and human sacrifice and sensuality and sexuality, and it had divided God's people by every tribe. And Elijah had called all of Israel together, all 12 tribes. We talked about just a week ago that he called on the prophets of Baal to come and to do their best to call on their false god. They threw an altar together and began to get loud and scream and shout. And when, when, the, when the answers wouldn't come that they wanted after an all-day trial, it says they got out lances and daggers and began to, to cut themselves and stab themselves and bleed, trying, trying to motivate a false god to move on their behalf. I'm going to tell you, when it's a false god, there's always a show ahead of time. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? But it said when it came time for Elijah to step up, it was the time of the evening sacrifice. It was the time when, when the proper sacrifice would be offered to the real God. It says that Elijah had taken the time to build another altar of 12 stones. That 12 stones was very important. It was one stone for each of the tribes of Israel. It was an in-your-face slap at the division that was going on in the country and in the kingdom that it needed to be reconciled, that there was no power and disunity and false worship. He called them back together. And in just a few simple words, Elijah called on his God, the one true God, and the fire of God fell from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, consumed the water, consumed the stones, consumed the dust. <laughs> and then he, had, he said, don't let one prophet escape. And he took them down and destroyed the false priesthood. Then you turn the page and you find Jezebel with a great threat that says, as the Lord lives, what, that let it happen to me, what will happen if it doesn't happen by this time tomorrow, I will kill you. And Elijah, who's just won a great victory, makes a run for it. <laughs> he, the man who just called down fire begins to cry to God and say, just kill me if you would. I've, done as, I've gone as far as I can go. Understand. God says, what in the world is wrong with you? Now, that's not the King James Version, but that's what God said. Elijah, what is wrong with you? He said, I'm the only one making a stand. Nobody's for me. Everybody's against me. I think it says somewhere, I think I'll go out and eat worms. 
And God says, it's in verse 13, he says, why are you here? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your, your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left to lay seek to thy life. But by the end of the chapter, just ahead of what God is telling Elijah, get up. He said, get up, go anoint a new priest, Go anoint a new king and get on about what I called you to do. He said, you're not alone. One of the favorite tactics of our enemy is to convince us that we're alone. That's what a predator does is he tries to get you alone. So you're hopeless and in despair and want to give up. It feels that way sometimes today in the world. When it feels like we're, we're, we're fighting, it's us against the, the entire planet. Yeah. When it seems like everything that's right is wrong and everything that's wrong is right and it, it's just upside down in its entirety. What do you mean? I mean everything. Does it not seem a little upside down? Yeah, I'll just throw this out there. Does it not seem a little upside down that while a nation is in crisis, where the grocery store shelves are getting emptier by the day, when inflation is going through the roof, and you haven't seen anything yet, wait till you try to buy Thanksgiving dinner. You can't even hardly buy supper right now. Come on. When the entire leadership of a country leaves on jet planes and joins a motorcade of 85, somebody say 85 cars, all to go combat global climate change. Now I want you to think about what I just said. Think about it. They want you to plug your car in while they take 16 jets across the pond and proceed in a motorcade of 85 gas guzzlers because after all, the number one problem facing us right now is climate change. We do need a climate change. I'm taking my time, as you notice. I'm not saying what I'm saying accidentally. We need a climate change. A spiritual climate change. I call on the God's people all over that's under the sound of my voice and anyone that might can hear it and anyone that you can spread it to, that it's time for you to rise up and know that you're not alone and that the God that you serve is bigger than the God of this world, that he, they can go at it all day long and never accomplish anything. Because sometimes, it's, see, because they, Baal had the crowd, but he didn't have the power. Think about that. It looked hopeless because it looked like the whole nation was serving this false God. He had the crowd, but he didn't have the power. God told me in his word that he could save by many or by few. Church, 
Then along comes, God says, you're not alone. I've got 7,000 that haven't ever bent their, their knee to Baal. He's in there or kissed his mouth. Kind of find that a little interesting. Because we got a lot of people kissing a lot of things. Usually for personal gain. But the man of God begins to walk out, and as he went by, he threw his mantle on Elisha. We've been talking in Sunday school for weeks. We preached about it a few weeks ago that we got a, we've got a, a, a place just like Paul addressed that we have thousands of teachers, but few fathers. Talked about in Sunday school this morning that, we, that, we're, that we're generationally into this thing now where we've had years and years and years and years and years of leadership training but fewer leaders than we've ever that I've ever seen in my life or you've seen in yours we hear a cry where is the God of Elijah and I think God's wondering where's the Elijah's of this God Some experience in this room, if you've been serving God for years, there comes a time that you need to start throwing some mantles. We need some mantles thrown in this place. We need an Elijah's to rise up that we're willing to pass on to Elisha's. They can't, the generals can't keep dying and not being replaced. The strength of the church has to come back to the people and the men and women of God. It's going to require, as I've been preaching for weeks, it's going to require a commitment and a cost. The question always is, is are you willing to pay the price? That's the question for me today. That's the question I've been struggling with for weeks. If you want to know the bottom line is within myself to see what needs to be seen, to accomplish what needs to be accomplished, to, to, to have a move that needs to happen, am I willing to? See, we can always talk about are you willing to pay the price, but I got a question. Am I willing to pay the price? A casual commitment is not going to get it. You realize that's what's happening. The man of God that has just spoken and, and fire fell. But before that, listen, he was a man who prayed. James said, we see it in 1 Kings, and then James repeats it in chapter 5. that It said he was a man who prayed, and it didn't rain. Then he prayed again, and it rained. And Elijah is, is really not that long from, from leaving out. And he's come to a place of despair that I'm by myself. I wonder if the David Wilkerson's ever felt that way in their closing years. We celebrate David Wilkerson. I wonder if he felt that way. I'm by myself. I wonder if Burt Clinton felt that way. I'm by myself. I wonder if Brother Swaggart feels that way, that I'm by myself. I, I wonder if the, uh, 
if C.M. Ward felt that way, that he was by himself. I'm talking about people who made a difference, people that made an impact, people that changed the world. I wonder if Charles Spurgeon felt like he was by himself, if Jonathan Edwards felt like he was by himself, if George Whitfield, see, we still speak, Smith Wigglesworth. When you go read the accounts of their life, there were, they were people that stood, and we celebrate them today, but most of the time they stood alone. And then when they leave, as these, as these people leave, I, I find myself and you find yourself saying, who's going to fill their shoes? The good news is, is God is always going to have a man. God is always going to have a woman. God is always going to have somebody. But the question is, it shouldn't be, who's going to fill their shoes? It's, what about me? Elijah is walking past, when he, the, when he threw his mantle on Elijah just as he walked past, man, that's something else. And then I don't see a big buildup, a big story going on, a big, a big happening going on. I, I see a man led by the Spirit of God who walks by and recognizes a kindred spirit, perhaps. You say, you believe in all that? Not, not in the, in the, in the uh, Manhattan, what was her name? She's going to be in Beaumont that goofball, the, uh, the uh, Manhattan medium or whatever her name is. Remember, she's got bad hair. Yeah. Not in that, that goofy mystical sense. The Bible says we're spirit beings, spirit to spirit. He talks about familiar spirits. Well, I'll just take a little detour here. You want to know, how, you want to know something? Do you know that you can take people that are, that are steeped in sin, you can take them to a new, another state, another city, another place. Maybe they're a, a cocaine addict. Maybe, maybe they're in sexual sin. You take them in a place that they've never known, drop them in there, where they, and within a week, they'll be, a, they'll be with their light kind. You ever wonder how that is? You can take people into a town of 200 with, with two meth heads and they'll find each other within a week. Now, I'm not being ugly. I, everybody needs the gospel and they need deliverance and, that, and that's what we're here for. But I'm just, gonna, I'm just talking about truth right here. They'll find each other within a week. If there's two in a thousand, they'll find each other. How is that? Familiar spirits. Elijah walks by and just passes his coat, his mantle, to Elisha. The significance of that is overwhelming. It is, I'm here to raise another one up like me. Church, we've got to start reproducing. We, we've got to start having men and women of God that are willing to stand without fear or favor that'll, that'll take on everything that's wrong around them. And not only that, that, that they'll keep their head up and know that they're not alone and that they will recognize when there's someone that they need to pass it on to. But here's the thing. We're never going to have, see, we know that later on, uh, God talks to Elijah and says, what do you want? He says, I want double what Elijah had. We think, man, that's arrogant. No. That was a man who knew who he was, knew what he was called to do, and knew the situation they were in. They had to have another prophet. He's evidently a fairly well-off family because he's got 
12 yoke of oxen. He's found working. By the way, can I just say something right here? God ain't never going to use anybody that's not found working. Oh, God, just use me. Oh, God, I want you to use me. Oh, God, I want you to use me. Y'all hear me? God had never used anybody that wasn't found working. He said, follow me. He said, let me go back. He said, go back. You realize that's in there, right? He said, what have I done to you? He said, go back. But Elijah didn't go back. It wasn't second thoughts on Elisha's mind. When he went back, he burned his plow and his yoke and killed his oxen. You know what happened? He recognized his time. He recognized the call. He recognized the power of God. He recognized where he was headed and knew when he, when he left out that life was never going to be the same. And he didn't have a plan B. Church, I want to talk to you about something. God doesn't have a plan B. You need to understand that. When we fail him, when we miss the mark, now he's full of grace and mercy and he'll bring us back to a place that he'll, that he'll use the good, bad, and the ugly and set us back on a path, but he has only one plan. Hmm. It's all in. The question is going to be for what God wants to do in this church and your life and your family. Is are we going to be willing to kill the means and burn the instruments? Because see, when you kill it and burn it, there's no going back. There's no alternative. You're all in with God's plan. Nothing else will do. God's calling his people and his church back to an all-in commitment to him. You want to see strength, power, miracles, signs, and wonders? It will be following them who believe. It'll be when the idols fall and we've all got them. It'll be, it'll be when the priorities change and I can use it. It'll be not denying what's going on around you, but instead of screaming at the darkness, it, it, it doesn't take anything to see what's going on. It takes everything to change it. Do you hear me? It doesn't take anything to see what's going on. It'll take everything to change it. It'll take walking away in many cases. Say, I, 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 pre preacher, is it really that strong? 
I got questions for you. And listen, there's things I'm fixing to talk about that every person in this room will have to pray through and decide on their own. You hear me? Because just because it's your plan doesn't mean it's his plan. Just because it's your stand doesn't mean it's your stand. But there's going to be places where your stand will be an entire step of faith. Your stand. I'm talking about we've came to a place where people are having to decide on their livelihood. Y'all think I've been preaching nonsense for two years? We should be at the place right now that your eyes are at least beginning to crack and understand that there's going to be full commitments or we're not going to make it. It's not, it's not scare tactics. It's, not, it's reality of where we're at. I'll even say there ain't nothing wrong with having, having a, a hundred pounds of rice and beans at, at hand. But if you think that your ability to hoard is going to protect you in an all-out onslaught, you, you are dreaming. It's going to take your willingness to go all in to barbecue your beef and burn your plow because you're not going to have any way to sustain yourself outside of faith in the one true God who is El Shaddai and who is Jehovah Jireh. Do we still believe he's Jehovah Jireh? What is Jehovah Jireh, somebody said? It is, it is the God who provides. It is the God that it came from whenever, whenever, whenever Isaac was heading up the mountain with Abraham and Isaac looked at his father and, and with a little bit of bewilderment and they're headed up the mountain, they knows what he's going for and he says, he said, I see the wood. But where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says to his son, God will provide. It's Jehovah Jireh. God will provide himself a lamb. I feel like every week I'm preaching to half, to 75% of the world that doesn't believe America can fall. Or that America can fail. Or that it can be so hard. And, and we got people in this room that was, that was not very many years or, uh, removed from at least when their parents went through a thing in 1929 of the Great Depression. My grandparents were Great Depression age people. My grandparents were old enough to be my great grandparents, okay? I heard all the accounts my grandmother was 20 years old in, in, in 1929. She was an adult when it fell apart. The problem was, wasn't that there wasn't stuff. Right now we're, we're facing a problem where there's not stuff. Their problem wasn't that there wasn't stuff. There was stuff. Just nobody had the money to buy it. Where they hit 25, 30% unemployment. Today, we don't have a problem with 30, that, that, that we don't have jobs. We have a problem if we have people that won't work. And do you realize, 
Are you listening? Do you realize that that very thing is, is literally putting your, your fist in God's face and shaking it and says, I'll live it the way I want to? Do you realize that? Do you realize that that is a spiritual rebellion that is beyond description and we don't even realize it? Because see, whenever, when, when, when God drove Adam and Eve out, out of the garden, he looked at Adam and he said, because of what you've done, you will work and earn your living by the sweat of your brow all the days of your life. What did he say? You will. You will. Say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, that was the pronouncement on mankind. Let me give you a little New Testament. Paul told the church, he said, listen, I'm going away and these are the things that you need to do and we got all of this to accomplish. And he said, let me tell you something, church. He said, if a man will not work, he will not eat. In 1929, we faced a, a devastating collapse where men couldn't work. In 2021, we're facing a devastating collapse because men won't work. We are literally, this is not hyperbole, we are facing a crisis of biblical proportions. And it's barely even beginning to dawn on us. You say, that scares me, preacher. I don't like what you're saying. I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to remind you and to beg you and to implore you. Say, you begging Paul did. He said, I beseech you. It means I am begging you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face. Because, see, that's where it's going to be the hand of God that provides. I believe with all of my heart there is going to be incredible devastation on one hand and incredible provision on the other. I believe it's going to be the days of the greatest apostasy that mankind has ever seen and the days of the greatest soul-winning crusade in modern history. It says, in the last days I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream, see, uh, dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. He said, I'm going to pour it out on my men servants, on my maid servants. And, he, and, and at the end of Joel and of Peter's dissertation, he said, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's, it, I, I preached it a year ago or so. It was like the Dickens novel. It's the best of times and it's the worst of times. I believe with all of my heart that our political leadership, that I, I don't mind to point it out and to call it out, that they are, that they are operating with the, with the blinders on, with spiritual blindness that has been applied. Told you a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night we were studying in Romans and it talked about when that God hardened Pharaoh's heart over and over and over. Go read it. It says God hardened his heart. And it said, and it gives you the reason why. It said because he wouldn't, they wouldn't turn and do the right thing because so he, he, he continually hardened his heart. And he said, I'm doing this so that I can show my great power through Pharaoh. I believe that we find ourselves in the same position today. Where God is hardening 
the hearts of national leadership because of our idolatrous lust. I said ours. How can I say that? Because the word of God declares that judgment must first begin. Where? In the house of the Lord. I gotta move a little quicker. Because y'all start smelling chili in a minute and you won't be able to think. I believe more than 30 years ago, listen to me, that judgment began in the house of the Lord. Oh, it looks way different than people think. When people think about God's judgment, they think about him killing people and sending armies and invaders. Oh, there's armies and invaders uh, absolutely going on. But see, we're in the new covenant now where it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. How was the church, how did judgment begin in the house of the Lord? It was infiltrated with filthy, nasty doctrine and filthy lucre that people, that the church lapped it up and chased after it and, and, and poisoned its very core to the point where, the, where, where by the masses people have been deceived and bought into a trashy lie. It says it's all about you and all about your happiness and all about your wealth and, and all about laughing and, and chicken feathers and gold dust and gemstones and gold fillings. Just stupidity, if you, might, if you don't mind me saying. Blew in on the west coast of America and you, it was so stupid you would think that anybody could be able to see it and, you didn't, and the church didn't, didn't even flinch and within a few years it was being lapped up like antifreeze. Why antifreeze? Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't know if they changed it now, but there was a time when antifreeze was absolutely sweet and delicious to a dog. You could pour up a bowl of it and you could, you could clean the neighborhood out of strays in just a little while because they would lap it up. It was absolutely delightful to them, but it was 100% deadly. And we've laughed it up. Judgment began in the house of the Lord. The only way we've got to where we're at politically and economically is because we got to where we're at spiritually. And the only way to turn it back in your life, my life, in the life of this church, in the life of your loved ones, is for somebody to go all in. That will, that, like Elisha, when they were called upon by the man of God, that said, that went back to say goodbye. What was he saying? He wasn't, he, he went back, he went back and told his family, I'm leaving because I've got a higher calling and a bigger thing to do. I, I'm, I'm going back to say, not, see, not only am I not, coming back I'm, I'm not leaving my, myself a resource to come back to okay, can, can I talk about a sacred cow just a minute it seems to fit right here I've seen so many churches just nearly destroyed by sacred cows if, Eli, if Elisha had chose to, to keep the oxen See, we think of sacred cows like in India, and that's true. We're going to talk about that in a second. But see, if, if, if Elisha had chose the oxen over the man of God, 
That would have been a sacred cow. What, but instead, what did he do? He took it back and he killed it. Bible, I just read it to you. Go look at it again. He said, and he fed the people. And I want you to know something, whether it be in a church, whether it be in your family, on your job, or just your personal life. See, all over India, we've talked about it before. They have, you, you know that the Hindu religions has thousands of, of gods. But one of the, some of the supreme gods is a cow. Ask the missionaries to India. Said, you, can, you, can, you, can sell your, you can sell your daughter for five bucks into prostitution. Nobody thinks a thing about that. But if you shoo a cow out of the highway so you can drive on by, they'll, they'll kill you. However long it takes them. I've heard Suzanne Cox talk about being in the road for three hours because they were waiting on the cows to get up from their nap because you can't shoe them. And in the meantime, people all around the cows are starving while ribeyes and, and porterhouse and filet mignon and, and New York strip and sirloin and regular old hamburger, skirt steak, brisket, rump roast, London broil, ribs. People are starving while there's a buffet walking around on hooves. I've seen it in plenty of churches. You know what you do with sacred cows? You kill them. And feed the people. I got news for you, church. Whether it's in your personal life, my personal life, me, I have to account for me. I'm preaching about me, my family, my church, your family, your church. If you're going to see anything, see, we have to get rid of the sacred cows. What am I talking? That's idols. Because I got news for you. There's only two options. You can either feed the cows and the people starve. Or you can kill the cow and feed the people. But you can't do both. You didn't, I, I don't think you even understood what I meant. You can't have it both ways. You're either all in or you're not. You're either, you're either, you're either worshiping all in where there's nothing to go back to. Or you're still worshiping the cow. You either feed the people or feed the cow. Well, there's been things that's burned me up over my years that they tried to train me in ministry. More the more they try to train me in ministry, the, the madder I get. <laughs> well, when you go into that little dying church that they're on their last leg, and I've been in a few of them. I pastored them. <laughs> and I, you know what I know? You can either go on it, because if you keep, if you keep doing what you've always done, you'll get what you always got. I got just a few more minutes. Cecilia, her daddy was a district superintendent. I bet you if he was here today, he could testify to some of these things. They, they train me, say, well, when you go in there, don't change too much at once. Move that piano two inches a year. They'll never notice. That's the, oh, they'd always snicker because, you know, that 
we don't mean that literally, but well, actually, some places that's literal. And you know what that means? That means for two years, they're still going to worship that cow. And for two years, more of them's going to die. And for two years, that they're going to be spiritually dead. For two more years, nothing's going to happen. And at the end of it, you're not hearing me. What I'm trying to tell you is that kind of thinking is hogwash. Well, they'll run me off. Well, what did you have? So you're talking about preachers. No, I'm talking to you. Talking to me. I'm, well, if I, if I do it that way, they may run me out. They may, may, they may do that. Well, what do you have to begin with? Because in three years, if you keep doing the things you're doing, you're not even going to exist. The application is, is across the spiritual spectrum where we're at that we can't keep trying to move the needle with, with programs and, and tiddlywinks and tippy-toeing through the tulips and, and hoping we don't offend anybody. Because that's where the church is at. Where we, I, heard a, I don't even remember who it was now. I asked a great question about not moving the needle spiritually, not, not witnessing, not evangelizing, not, not going after their friends, not going after their family, not going after their spouse. You're afraid you're going to offend them. You're afraid you're going to drive them off. Where are you going to drive them to? The question was, where, where are you going to offend them to? Where are you going to drive them to? Second hell? You got everything to lose. Church, we have everything to lose. Church, we have everything to lose. Church, we have everything to lose. We have everything to lose. The wheat is being separated from the chaff in America and around the world right now. Right now, we're nonchalant, kicked back, blowing bubbles, don't care. But we're going to be figuring out if we're going to have to depend on God or we won't have it. And it won't be casual anymore. The question will be, are we going to go all in now? Serious. It's a serious. Serious. We think we got it all figured out. We got people, oh, we're buying up gold and silver. Oh, we can. We're hedging. We're hedging. Ain't nothing wrong if you bought some gold, but do they still teach history anymore? Remember we talked about 1929 a while ago when it all fell apart the last time? There were gold hoarders then too. There were people that saw it coming. They started hedging their inflation. They started hedging inflation. What is the standard common knowledge wisdom that when hyperinflation begins that you hedge it with precious metal. In 1930-31, the United States government confiscated every piece of gold and made it illegal to buy it or sell it. You could hoard it, but what good did it do you? Because there was no one to sell it to. Because it was illegal. 
What am I talking about? I'm talking about that there is no hedging against. You can't hedge judgment and you can't rebuke it. You can rebuke the devil and he'll flee. But when it's God's work, Grady, you can't rebuke it because he can't be rebuked. You can't hedge it and you can't change it. You submit to it and you obey it. You go all in. You got to barbecue the beef, burn the plow. It's the only option. It's the only plan. There is no plan B. Stand with me across this place. Here in, here in just a few minutes, they're going to come in and they're going to announce chili winners and we're going to pray over a meal and give you instructions and that's coming, so don't get antsy. But for the next few moments, we're going to pray. Church, I'll be just frank as I know how to be. I'll even go, some, I'll usually say honest. I'll be honest because I try to always be honest. But I'll say it that way. In times like these, I feel like a voice crying in the wilderness. I feel alone. Even amongst friends, it feels lonely. There's nothing easy about it. Listen, we've poured in the honey and the oil for the last few weeks because that's the direction that the Lord taking us. But we're back to the reality of what it's going to take to make it. And I know I'm not alone because God says we're never alone. <laughs> I know there's others, but it's, it's, it's lonely. But church, the, the, the call is, for one thing, I say, here I am, like Isaiah. That's been on my mind for weeks. Here I am, send me. Who's going to fill their shoes? Why not you? Every time you ask, who's going to take up the slack? Why not you? I posted last week, I posted the pictures of the three churches that I've pastored. One of them from nothing. I mean from nothing. Six kids and one adult besides my family. In the two and a half years, it was overflowing. One of them dead in a different way. And God resurrected it. And then here, where God is still plowing and still moving and still laying foundations and still trying to bring it out of the ground and still trying to build it up with a lot more than I've ever started with before, then, I, then I've had the privilege of traveling the world and preaching and proclaiming the truth of the gospel that I could have never imagined as a little toe-headed punk in Logan County, Arkansas, that God would ever take me all over the world to preach the gospel. 
And when I posted that, of course, Brother Maddox was who responded. He said, you know, sometimes that the power of God, that the, that the, that the plan of God is, is not so much in anything but your availability. In other words, saying, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Who's going to fill their shoes? You are. Who's going to make the difference? You are. Who's going to change your life? You are. Who's going to change your family? You are. Who's going to change your marriage? You are. Who's going to change your job situation? You are. Because How do I know that? Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's how. Bible says that we can be led by the Spirit. Who, Luther? You are. I love Luther. <laughs> I don't want to point too much light at him because I'm not trying to, but I love his heart. I love his testimony. I love how he came out of idolatrous religion because he opened the Word of God and just began to read it. And the Word became life. And it would be one thing if Luther just got saved. But his family, everything that surrounded him began to change. And parents in their 80s, I think is right, got saved. Because one man says, it's not just me. I'll, I'll do it. Where a mom says, get it all out of my house. Get rid of it. Get all the idols. Get all the shrines. Get all, get all of the, 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 the icons and get rid of them. Why? That's when you go all in. Church, we got to. You know what? I'm not afraid. Some of you, I preach these things. You think that scares me. It makes me nervous. Some of you think it's just hype. I, that, you'll find out. I'm, I'm not afraid. Why? Because there's perfect peace in Him. Perfect love casts out all fear. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. I, I know because Jesus said all these things. He said, he said, take no thought of it. These things must be go read it Matthew 24 when he begins he begins to tell what's going to happen right now he said don't worry about it these things must be if you're in him you have nothing to fear if you're outside of him you have nothing to gain but him and then he'll change the situation heavenly father I've done my best. But it's you. You're the, you're the difference maker. You're the changer. You're, you're the one that draws people to repentance. You're the one that brings us to a place of, of, of stepping up. I can't change anybody. But you said it's by the foolishness of preaching that men are saved. Lord, do what only you can do. Church, without, in Jesus' name, amen. And without delay, without delay this morning, without delay, if you're in this house and you mean it, don't you dare step out just for form and show and religious exercise and none, none of that, don't do it. But if you're here this morning and, and, you, and you've heard the call in your heart to all in, 
If you heard the call in your heart, when the, the, who will step up? I will. If you've heard the call in your heart that, I, that, I'll, that I'll burn the implement and barbecue the cow. If that's you this morning, why don't you run? Don't, don't, don't saunter. Why don't, you, why don't you get out of your seat and run to the front? That's you. Come on. Don't do it if it's not you. God knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. Don't do it if it's not you. That's enough to change it right there. Look around you real quick. That'll tell you you're not alone. First of all, I want you to see that you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. That's enough. If 120 that come out of the upper room could literally turn the world upside down, what can 50 do for Orange County and for every family now let's tell him every one of us in our we use your own mouth your own words faith comes by hearing hearing comes by the word say it out loud Lord here I am send me Lord I'm here Lord I know that you're that I've got to be all in that I, that I may have been wishy-washy before, that I may have wanted to turn back before, I may have went back to what's comfortable before, I may, I may have turned back to plan B before, but today and from this day forward, I am all in that, I, that, I'm, that, I, that I'll, I'll renounce where I've been before. I, I'm here to destroy the implements and, and, to, and to barbecue the beef. I'm here, I'm here to say I'm not going back. I'm here to say that I'm willing to make up the hedge, to stand in the gap. Lord, that I'm willing to commit to my, to my church, to my family, to my spouse, to my kids, to my, to my loved ones, to my co-workers, to the people around me, to my neighborhood, that I won't be seeking anyone else to do it. Lord, it's me. It's me. I'll take the mantle. I won't go back. Lord, it's me. Lord, I know what's gonna ask, you're going to ask of me. I know it won't be the same. I know there'll come changes. Lord, I know that there's things I'll have to walk away from, but you never walk away. You never have me walk away from something that you don't give me a hundred times more. Lord, it's me. It's me. Church, say it. I will not bow and I will not back up. I'm going forward. I'm all in. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Amen. Amen.